1: Suspense! This is the Man in Black, here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. In Hollywood this evening, our two distinguished stars are the lovely actress Margot, and the polished young actor from Holland, Mr. Philip Dorn. A story by John Dixon Carr dealing with strange, very strange happenings aboard an ocean liner and called Cabin B-13 is tonight's tale of Suspense. If you have been with us before, you will know that Suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so with Cabin B-13, and with the performances of Margot as Ann Brewster and Philip Dorn as Dr. Carl Heinrich, we again hope to keep you in... Suspense! Come now, in happier peacetime days, to a great ocean liner... ...on the night of her departure for Europe. There she is at the West 22nd Street Pier... ...the 25,000-ton Mouravania of the White Planet Line. Smoke from her three funnels coils up lazily in mild October air. You can see the decks, white and shiny like shoeboxes... ...and the string of lights along them... ...and the band standing by on A-deck to play her out. You can hear the murmur of an excited crowd... ...and the rattle of the steam winches as cargo is lowered into the hold. You can see the bustle of activity and the second officer standing at the head of the gangplank as two rather late passengers hurry through the customs shed towards that gangplank.
2: It's all right, baby. we are not too late. No, and I thought we'd be in time. Oh, a honeymoon in Europe. Three whole months with nothing to worry about. That's right, then. And you've been my wife for, uh, let's see, practically five hours now. I believe the correct phrase is... is... Ah, it was so sudden, Mr. Brewster.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So sudden that we have to travel on our own passports instead of a husband and wife one. (laughs) I hope they don't think you're not an honest woman.
2: I'm going to act like a complete wanton, just a devil. (laughs) Oh, what about our tickets, Ricky? Do we give them to that officer standing at the top of the gangplank?
3: (laughs) No, honey, you keep your ticket. The cabin steward will come around and collect it after we're underway.
2: And the money, Ricky?
3: Mm, It's a lot of money, Anne, I... $10,000 $10,000 in cash. Maybe i better turn it in at the Purse's office for safekeeping.
2: Yes, maybe you had. Wait a minute, Ricky. What is it, then? Wait. Do you mind if we stand here for a second before we go up the gangplank? Oh, well, what's the matter? You're not ill, are you? No, but... getting over brain fever isn't any joke. Oh, I know, dear. You see, Ricky, I... I ought to be eager and excited like all those people up there, but... Suddenly you get fancies. Queer, sick fancies. Suddenly, right now, all I can think of is the night and the wind and all the black water in the dark.
3: And that's exactly the kind of morbid fancy I'm trying to cure you of.
2: I know, Ricky. I'll be good, but I was just thinking of a story. What story? Oh, never mind. It It doesn't matter. Which way do we go? Up
3: the gangplank, through that door there, and then down on the elevator to B deck. And... No more horrors, do you understand? <laughs> uh, here we are, Anne. v deck and cabin number. Good Lord, B thirteen.
2: B thirteen.
3: You're not superstitious, are you?
2: Well, no, dear. Not about things like that. Open the door.
3: Here we are. Lights on and... Oh,
2: Ricky, darling. It's a beautiful cabin.
3: Well, best I could get. i well, have got a luggage in anyway. and Over there, madam, you'll find a basket of fruit and some books from your obedient servant.
2: Oh, you are nice to me. And I'm feeling so much better, Ricky. I will be all right, darling.
3: <laughs> of course you will. But uh, you won't find any detective novels among those books. Please. Please, the Ricky. Detective novels may be all right for presidents and college professors, but they're straight poison to you. You'll read love stories and like it.
2: You know, Ricky, I keep thinking and thinking about that story I mentioned. What story, dear? It's an old one. You probably know it, but it was new to me. A woman and her daughter arrive in Paris and go to a hotel. Oh,
3: you mean the old Paris exposition story?
2: Yes, that's it. The daughter goes out. When she returns, her mother has disappeared. And even the hotel room isn't the same. The proprietor of the hotel swears the girl came there alone and that there never was a mother. The whole room is different when she goes back to look at it. The girl goes to the police and they won't believe her and she's nearly crazy. Of course, it turns out that the mother has caught bubonic plague and died. And they're hushing it up so that the visitors won't keep away from the city and ruin the whole exposition. But
3: you've got to stop this kind of talk.
2: I know. But imagine being in a situation like that. With all those queer eyes staring at you. Wondering if you'd lost your reason. Wondering if your brain had cracked and the whole world might dissolve and... Listen.
4: Well, that's
3: the last call, Anne. we will be underway any minute now.
2: You know, Ricky, I would like to see the skyline go past and the Statue of Liberty and the rest of it. Well,
3: then why not go up and see it? I've got to deposit this money in the purse's office on deck. But...
2: I, I I don't like you to leave me. Oh,
3: now look here, dear. You don't think I'm going to disappear, do you?
2: I suppose I don't really. When I get these ideas, and I can't help it, Ricky, I wish you'd wallop me. <laughs>
3: well, I'm not going to wallop you, <laughs> Anne. but you've got to stop being afraid. You certainly won't disappear in a crowded ship with any number of people all around you. As for me, <laughs> I defy Houdini himself to make me vanish.
2: Don't talk like that. I'm
3: not going to vanish, and neither is this cabin, dear. Now run along. I'll join you on deck as soon as I can.
2: All right, Ricky. I'll be good. <laughs> eager people excited people happy people all crowding up to the rail to wave goodbye nothing to worry about nothing on their minds except except what oh
5: except seasickness madam oh well, I beg your pardon I hadn't meant to startle you believe me
2: please don't mention it how silly of me it was my fault I I haven't been very well
5: I noticed it madam if you'll forgive me that was why I spoke to you as you see by my uniform, I'm the ship's doctor.
2: This is a British ship, isn't it? But you don't sound British.
5: No, I'm an Austrian, madam. Dr. Paul Henry, at your service. I'm not very popular in my own country today. The days of colored shirts and vacant minds.
2: I'm Mrs. Brewster, doctor. Anne Brewster. When does the ship
5: go? In about a second, Mrs. Brewster. You will hear the whistle, then the band will strike up, all langs in, and then... We're moving, aren't we? Yes. Oh. Don't you feel the vibration of the engine? Oh.
6: To Goodbye, Tommy. Take care of yourself oh. while I'm Come gone. on, Terry. I'll see you at Christmas. You to to oh, the key to the car is in the living room table floor. If you the go out room. with any block,
7: What time does
5: the open aboard this time, I imagine this is not your first crossing, madam. Oh,
2: I'm afraid it is, Dr. Heinrich. My husband's crossed many times, he tells me, but not on this ship.
5: Well, then I hope you're a good sailor.
2: Why, Dr. Heinrich?
5: Well, because we'll run into some very dirty weather once we are out at sea. October is a very bad month for traveling.
2: Well, if I do get seasick, Doctor, I'll rush straight to you, and I'll expect to be cured.
5: (laughs) Let me tell you a secret, madam. There are two common ailments for which medical science has no cure. One is ordinary seasickness, and the other is hangover. (laughs) Tomorrow morning I shall be dealing with both. And enjoying it? Oh, no, 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 no. Sympathizing with it. That's all I can do. How do you like tomorrow of
2: Oh, it's a magnificent ship from what I've seen of it. And do you know they've given us a very nice cabin down on B-deck? B-13. What's the matter? Why are you looking at me like that?
5: I beg your pardon. Did you say B-13?
2: Yes. Why not?
5: You're quite sure of that, madam?
2: Why, yes, of course I'm sure of it. I, I saw the number on the door. Why not?
5: Well, because...
2: Go on, Dr. Heinrich.
5: Because there's no such cabin aboard a ship... I'm not joking, Mrs. Brewster. You see, some people are superstitious. Many ships, like this one, omit number 13 on each deck. You must have been mistaken.
2: What are you trying to tell me? Do you think I saw something that wasn't there?
5: No, no, Mrs. Brewster, not at all.
2: Then come along with me. I'll show you. I'll prove to you that there is a number 13. Will you come along?
5: Yes, Mrs. Brewster. I think perhaps I had better escort you.
8: Stewardess! Yes, miss. Yes, ma'am. Come in straight away. Tell me, stewardess, this is B-deck, isn't it? B-deck, ma'am? Oh yes, ma'am. No doubt about that. But Dr. Heinrich and I have been all over this part of the ship looking for cabin number 13, but we
2: don't... I've
5: been trying to convince this lady stewardess that there's no such cabin, uh, cabin number 13 on this ship.
8: Why, there sure to heaven isn't, ma'am, and never has been. I've served aboard the Moravania a matter of eight years, and I ought to know. But I tell you, I saw it. I was in there... It was a big cabin with a private
2: bathroom attached. The walls were paneled in light oak, and the furniture was rosewood and yellow satin. And
8: the portholes were like real windows. No, that's not much good, man.
2: No,
5: I'm afraid not. Most of the cabins hereabouts look like that. May I ask you what name was the cabin booked in?
8: Brewster, naturally. Mr. and Mrs. Richard E. Brewster. Here, yeah, let's have a look on my list. No. Oh, no, there's no Brewster here, ma'am. I tell you, I was in there. They even delivered the luggage. I saw it. Excuse me, ma'am, but I had a look-see in all the cabins I'm in charge of, just to see if the passengers wanted anything. And I don't remember any luggage with a Brewster label on it. Wait a minute. There may be a partial explanation of this.
5: Ah, you see, that's better, Mrs. Brewster. I was hoping you might find one.
2: Ricky, that's my husband. Ricky and I have only been married a very short time, and... When my maid printed the baggage labels, she she must have
8: made them out in my maiden name. I never noticed at the time. Oh, what name might that be, ma'am? Thornton. Anne-Marie Thornton. Oh, Lord, miss. Now, why couldn't you have said that before? I remember it well. Two silk kises and a little trunk. They're in B-16 now. Where's B-16? Right behind you, miss. You're standing practically in front of the door. Oh, thank goodness View. you. Oh, yes, but, uh, what about my husband's luggage? There's no gentleman's luggage in that cabin, miss. Your husband's or any other gentleman's, if you know what I mean. I won't stand for this. Where's Ricky? What have you done with Ricky?
5: Please, Mrs. Brewster, there's one easy way to settle this.
8: Settle it?
2: How?
5: Just look down the corridor. You notice the man coming towards us, the man with the two gold stripes around his sleeve? Well? That's Mr. Marshall, our second officer Did you ever see him before?
2: I yes. Yes, of course I have. He was standing at the top of the gangplank when Rick and I got aboard. Mm,
5: Exactly, so he might be able to tell us something. Mr. Marshall, Mr. Marshall. Yes, Doctor, what's up? Would you mind coming here for a moment? Well, not at all, old boy. Always glad to oblige a chap who may have to cut me up at any moment. eh? (laughs) What may I do for you? Take a good look at this young lady and tell me, have you seen her before? Seen her before, <laughs> my dear chap. If I had overlooked, uh,
4: the young lady will pardon me, I know, a passenger as charming as this lady is, I would be less of the gentleman than I fancy myself.
5: <laughs> you saw her coming, coming aboard tonight? Oh, yes, certainly. And, uh, of course, you saw the gentleman who was with her. The uh, gentleman who was with her?
2: Yes, yes, yes.
5: Oh, uh, but there was nobody with her, old boy. You're quite certain
4: of that, Mr. Marshall? My dear doctor, she was the last of them to come aboard. I'll take my Bible oath there was no other passenger with her, or ahead of her, or behind her, if it comes to that. You're
2: lying. You're lying to me. Please,
5: please, Mrs. Rooster, lower your voice.
2: I know what it is. It's the old Paris trick, like in the story. But you won't get away with it, do you hear? Now, look here, madam. I'll go to the purser. I'll go to the captain. Oh, dear father in heaven, won't anybody believe me?
1: Later that night, in the captain's room just abaft the bridge, there is a conference of ship's officers. Outside, stung by spray clinging to the bulkhead rail in the dark, a frightened girl waits until the door of the cabin's room
5: opens.
7: Will you bring the young lady in, Dr. Heiney?
6: Close the door.
5: Yes, sir. Here we are. This is Captain Wainwright. Now just tell your story straightforwardly and uh, please don't excite yourself. Well, um, maybe we can get some decision into this matter. Will you sit
7: down here beside my desk, Miss Thornton?
2: My name is Brewster, Captain. Mrs. Anne Brewster. Ah,
7: Whatever you say, Mrs. Brewster.
2: Thank you very much, Captain.
7: I might tell you, ma'am, I've got a lot on my mind already. My first officer comes aboard with an attack of flu. I'm facing an
2: equinoctial gale,
7: short-handed. And now this has to happen on top of it.
2: I'm terribly sorry. I can't help that, Captain. But I want to know what they've done with Ricky. Just one moment, please, while I get this straight. For
7: this time, I understand you yourself have personally interviewed practically every single passenger aboard this ship. Is that true? Yes, it's true. But your alleged husband is not here. Is that true?
2: Yes, that's true. In the
7: meantime, the purser has sent a squad of men to search this ship. They've searched every inch of it. You can take my word for that. There's nobody hidden. Your husband's not here. According to Mr. Marshall, who's standing over there... I see him. According to Mr. Marshall, he never was here.
4: Oh, Hang it all, Miss Thornton. You needn't glare at me like that. We couldn't see the chap. He
7: wasn't there, now could we? Be quiet, Mr. Marshall. Yes, I'm sorry. No, I'm... I'm not unreasonable, Mrs. Brewster. I think you'll admit that. But what can I do? What can I say... Can you offer any proof, even, that this husband of
5: yours ever existed? Proof?
2: Yes, of course I can.
5: Excuse me for interrupting, but would you mind, Captain, if we ask a question or two? No, Doctor, go ahead. I tell you I'm going daft myself. If you were married, Mrs. Brewster, you must be carrying a joint husband and wife passport. Where is that?
2: Well, there wasn't time to get one. We each carried our own passport.
5: Oh, I see. But still, there must be someone back in America who can confirm what you say if you got in touch by a radio telephone. Your parents, for instance.
2: I haven't got any parents. They're dead.
5: What about relatives, then, or a guardian?
2: My guardian is a trust company. The administrators don't even know I'm married.
5: But somebody must have performed the ceremony of marriage, the parson, and the justice of peace. Yes, of
2: course, of course, but... Oh, I... I, I can't remember the name of the town.
7: You don't remember the name of the town? Well, to your chair, Mrs. Brewster. The ship is going to pitch again. How's the glass looking,
4: Mr. Marshall? Uh, oh, uh, barometer's rising, sir. This weather won't hold long. We shall be in the fog before morning. Uh? We are
7: in a fog now, if you ask me. This lady says she... I'm ca-
2: terribly sorry, but I'm I'm trying to think of it. It was a little town in upstate New York... where they can marry you at a moment's notice... Ricky kept the certificate. I, I was confused. I haven't been well. No, you haven't. You see, Ricky had been away, and he came back, and I was in love with him, and he, he sort of swept me off my feet, and oh, <laughs> what's the use? Uh,
7: not much use, apparently. If you'll take my advice, ma'am, you'll go below to your cabin and get some sleep. I'll send the doctor down to mix you a sedative.
2: You think I'm crazy, don't you?
7: I I think you're a little overwrought, ma'am.
2: What I can't understand is why. Why? Why should you want to do this? It can't be the bubonic plague this time. Bubonic plague, ma'am?
7: Who said anything about the bubonic plague?
2: Never mind. But I'll show you. You're all against me, except maybe the doctor. But I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. I am going downstairs, and I don't want anybody to follow me. Good
7: night. Good night, all of you. Well, I'm glad that's over. Look here, Mr. Marshall. Huh? You think it's quite safe to trust her out there alone? I don't know, sir. She's mad as a hatter, if you ask me. You think she might uh, do something foolish? I think she might chuck herself overboard if we're not careful. What's your opinion, doctor?
5: I can give you my opinion, gentlemen, in a very few words. That girl is as sane as you are. What's that? Wait and hear what I have to say. I shared your own belief at first, but I've been talking to her all evening. I've heard her whole story, and there is not a psychopathic trait in her nature. She firmly believes in this husband. Yes, Doctor. A lot of people firmly believe they're Napoleon, but they get tossed into loony bins as to say. This matter is not a joke, Mr. Marshall. I tell you, this man exists. Or did exist.
7: What do you mean, Doctor.
5: I suppose Did he has exist. been murdered. Perhaps he has been murdered and thrown overboard. Murdered? Thrown overboard? If you remember, Richard Brewster was carrying a very large sum of money in cash. His wife's wedding gifts. Practically all her inheritance. He meant to go to the purser's office. But he never got there. That money invited might have been a great temptation. To whom? To a stewardess, perhaps, or even to uh, to a ship's officer. Just exactly what are you getting at? Well, numbers on doors can be changed easily enough. You just print a small card and put it on the metal slot on the door. I still want to know you what you're driving at. If you use your intelligence, gentlemen, I think you will understand how a man can be made to vanish into thin air. And uh, why, Mr. Marshall, saw never an passenger. You still don't see it? No, I do not. Well, then listen. And I'll explain exactly how
6: it's been
1: Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock. The hour of suicides and bad dreams. The gale has subsided. The sea is calm. The SS Maurevania creeps blindly at barely eight knots through a thick and strangling fog. The whole ship is dark and sealed up in sleep. There's no sound in all that mournful dimness, except when the foghorn cries out a warning overhead. Even cabin B-16 is dark. Anne Brewster, still fully dressed, lies restlessly across one of the berths, her head almost touching the inter cabin telephone.
2: Uh, what was. Oh, I thought I heard. Telephone. Yes? Hello?
6: It's me,
3: Anne. Take it easy now.
2: Ricky! Ricky, where are you? Quiet.
3: Keep your voice down.
2: Where are you, Ricky? What happened to you? Are you hurt?
3: No, I'm not hurt, but he nearly got me.
2: Who? Who nearly got you?
3: Listen, dear. I can't explain over the phone, and I don't dare go down there. Can you meet me up on deck?
2: Yes, of course. Where?
3: Do you know the boat deck?
2: Boat deck? Uh, Which one is that?
3: The top deck, where all the lifeboats are slung.
2: Oh, yes, I know it.
3: Well, go to the starboard side. Yes? Uh, That's the right-hand side, facing forward. Find the fourth lifeboat from the aft companionway. Yes. There's a thick fog,
6: and nobody will see us...
2: Ricky. What is it? Ricky! He's gone. He's gone.
8: Excuse me, miss, but I thought I heard somebody talking in here. Stewardess, what are you doing up at this time of the night? If I might ask, miss, what are you doing up and dressed? Oh, you ought to get some sleep, miss. You really ought. It might interest you to know, stewardess, that I've just been talking to my husband. Now look here, miss. Don't start that all over again. Please, don't start that all over again. You all pretended to think I was mad, didn't you? And you nearly drove me mad.
2: Ricky's beaten
8: the whole crowd of you, and I'm going out on deck to meet him now. Out on deck, miss. That's what I said. Where's my coat? Don't go out there, miss. Not in the state of mind you're in. And the fogs are thick. You can't hardly see your hand in front of your face. Stand away from the door, please. Suppose, miss, I didn't want to let you go out there. I don't think that would matter much. You've probably heard that mad people have ten times ordinary strength, and I'm stronger than you anyway. Miss, I'm a-begging you.
2: Stand away from that door. One, two,
3: third... Anne, is that you? Yes, Ricky. Ricky, darling, where are you? Here, duck your head under the lifeboat. Here, take my
2: hand. But isn't it horribly dangerous out there on the edge? There's no no railing along the side of the ship.
3: Don't worry, Anne. I won't let you fall. Look out. Went overboard here. We're well aft near the propellers. The suction would carry into the propeller blades and... Listen.
2: I can't hear anything except the foghorn. Yeah,
3: but I can. Somebody walking along the deck. And I can see a flashlight moving in the fog. You're quite right, my friend.
5: You can see a flashlight moving in the fog.
2: Dr. Heinrich, what are you doing here?
5: At the moment, young lady, I'm covering both of you with a revolver. Please don't move. So, you were in the
2: conspiracy, Dr. Heinrich.
5: May I ask you what conspiracy? The whole ship's conspiracy to say Richard Brewster didn't exist. My dear young lady, you can set your mind at rest. There never was any ship's conspiracy against you. The people you spoke to were perfectly honest.
2: Including Mr. Marshall, I suppose.
5: Yes, including Mr. Marshall. And what is this all about? Stand back there.
2: I suppose he was telling the truth when he said nobody came up the gangplank before or after me.
5: I beg your pardon. That was not what he said. He said no passenger came up the gangplank at this time. Well,
2: what's the difference?
5: A great crime is arranged for tonight, young lady. No less a crime than murder.
2: Murder? Who's going to be murdered?
5: You are. What? That I repeat is a scheme but there is no conspiracy and only one criminal.
2: Oh, and who is the criminal?
5: The criminal is the man standing beside you, your so-called husband.
2: Ricky, you don't know what you're saying.
5: I think I do. Marshall, of course, did see someone walk up the gangplank, loitering behind you, but he never dreamt of associating this person in any way with you. He saw a ship's officer returning from shorely in civilian clothes.
2: A ship's officer? Yes.
5: The man you called your husband, his name isn't Richard Brewster. His real name is Blaney. And he's the first officer of the Moravanias. Are
2: you trying to tell me that The captain can
5: identify him. He's actually British, though he can fake an American accent very well. He has already got a wife in England and he's planning to join her with the $10,000 he got from you.
2: I don't believe it. I don't... Ricky, why don't you say something?
5: Oh, he planned it very cleverly, I must admit. He never let you know he was ship's officer, did he? He's been away for some time, naturally, so he persuaded you to marry him in a hurry.
2: Ricky, Ricky, is this true? Here's
5: the money, you see. All he did was hang a dummy number on the cabin door, remove it later, put on his uniform, and walk away with his own luggage.
2: But Captain Wainwright told us that the first officer had come aboard tonight with...
5: With a bad attack of flu, yes. Our friend couldn't be seen in public until after he disposed of you. The best thing was to convince everybody you were insane, as he did. Then, when you went overboard tonight...
2: They would all believe it was suicide.
5: Exactly. But I began to suspect this Brewster, because you quoted him as telling such an obvious lie. He said he had never traveled in the Moravania, yet he could direct you all over the ship, and even knew where the person's office was. So he went to his cabin, found it empty searched and found your $10,000. Put it on, you he fool, put it on!
6: He's over for him. You shot him! You shot him!
5: Your shots, my dear, never touched him.
2: Never touched him?
5: No. The weight of the iron carried him over backwards when he lifted it. It was the weight he was going to use to sink your body. Yes. They suck you under.
6: Oh, doctor oh, Doctor, I can't stand this.
5: It won't be easy, my dear. It won't be easy, I know, but believe me, this this way is better.
1: And so closes Cabin B-13, starring Margot and Philip Dawn, tonight's tale of suspense. With our two stars tonight, with Dennis Hoy as Captain Wainwright, and William Johnstone as Ricky Brewster. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week, same time, when our star will be one of the Screen Year's most sensational newcomers, Mr. Gene Kelly. Mr. Kelly will be supported by Hans Conried and William Johnstone. The producer and director of Suspense is William Spear, who with Lud Gluskin and Lucian Morrowick, conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense.
4: Suspense fans, please note that these programs will shortly move to different days of the week. Suspense will come to listeners in Eastern and Central time zones on Thursdays, beginning December the 2nd, and to Mountain and Pacific time zone listeners on Monday, beginning December the 6th. Remember Thursday, beginning December the 2nd, in Eastern and Central time zone, and Mondays, beginning December the 6th, in the Pacific and Mountain time zones, for Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
9: Suspense.
1: This is the man in black here to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. In Hollywood this evening, our star is the young American actor who, within a single year, has become one of the most provocative of Hollywood's leading men, Mr. Gene Kelly. Mr. Kelly appears tonight as a gentleman named Art Kramer, a gentleman of most uncertain scruples, engaged with other gentlemen of similar disrespectability in distinctly unlawful practices. Our suspense play by Robert L. Richards is called Thieves Fall Out, and in it, in support of our star, you will hear Hans Conried as a racetrack devotee by name Kennelly, and William Johnstone as Sam Gross, And so with Thieves Fall Out and with the performance of Gene Kelly as Art Kramer, we again hope to keep you in suspense.
10: ABC Enterprises? No, he's not in. No, I don't know where you can locate him. Yes, I'll tell him you called. ABC Enterprises, ABC Enterprises. Why does he give all these guys his phone number if he wants to keep this business so quiet?
11: Yeah, you know. Wants to do favors for people he meets in bars, brags how he can get things for him. You know.
10: I'm sure, I know. And the next day I have to get him the brush off.
12: He's going to brag to the wrong guy someday.
10: Hi, Yachty.
11: Hello.
10: Hello, Arthur.
11: Hiya, babe.
10: Where you been the last couple of days?
11: Uh, ducking all the guys I owe money to. What time is Sam getting the boys together?
10: Mm, About half an hour. Down at the warehouse. You better start down there pretty soon.
11: What's the difference? I won't get enough out of it to buy a round trip to Coney Island. Any calls?
10: Yeah, Canelli called a little while ago. That punk.
11: Another guy who wants to I haven't got.
10: You stall him? I tried, but he said he was coming up anyway.
11: Oh, what'd you let him do that for you? No, know, I don't want to see that guy. I
10: couldn't help it. He knows the way he
11: Okay, okay. Anything else? No.
10: Arthur, if you're not going down right away, can I talk to you for a minute? What about? Oh, something. Joe, watch the switchboard for me, will you, while I talk to Arthur in the next room? What's he got that I haven't got? No cracks out of you. Please, Arthur.
11: All right, but make it snappy.
10: Now what? Oh, Arthur, what, what's the matter lately?
11: You know what's been the matter, everything. Me too. Oh, don't start that again. Reed. it's no use. Look, you're a good kid, but it's no use. You didn't used to say that. All right. So now I owe nearly 10 grand around this town. And there's some plenty of tough monkeys. If I don't get it up pretty soon, it's going to be too bad. Top of that, I had a loaded truck and a trailer hijacked last week. And there goes my take for the month and more. And you want to know what's the matter.
10: Oh, Arthur, honey, why don't you quit? Why don't you get out while you still can? Why
11: don't I quit? What are you talking about? Oh,
10: you used to have a decent business, Arthur. Sure,
11: sure, and I didn't eat.
10: Well, what about now? It's making a wreck of you. It's it's dangerous. You know what's going to happen. This whole black market thing's going to crack pretty soon. And when it does, you Ah, you're... don't be silly. Yeah? Kennelly's outside to see Addy.
11: That punk. All right, let him come in. What's one more? Okay. Uh, better let me talk to him alone, baby.
10: All right,
9: Think about I, what I said, will you? Sure. Oh, hi, Arlie.
11: I Thought I might catch you. Yeah, I'll bet.
9: Close the door. Sure. At least now, I need that dough.
11: Well, I haven't got it. I told you that.
9: No, uh, no, no. Look, I don't want there should be no trouble. There's
11: not going to be any trouble.
9: Take it easy. I didn't mean that. But I took them bets from you on my own. And... Now, my boss is after me. If I don't get that dough by Monday, I'm going to be in trouble.
11: Well, I haven't got it, and I won't have it for another month. Wait. Can't you get it from Sam? No, I'm into him as far as I can be now.
9: What do you mean? Sam must have plenty sold it down in some safe deposit vault by now. It right? is
11: in a vault. It's up at his place in Connecticut. Anyway, he won't give me any more. Connecticut, huh? I didn't know he had a place in Connecticut. Yeah, near Riverside. It's a hideout, way away from everything. Oh. McPhail has one, too, about five miles away.
9: When's he go there?
11: He's hardly ever there. Nobody's there. What do you care? You are thinking of the days when you used to climb through second-story windows? Oh, you, you should not ought to say, that, Arthur. I don't even know where the joint is. No, I was kidding. Anyway, listen, I'm, I'm sorry about the dough, but you'll have to wait. Uh, Arthur, you don't know the spot on I me. Mean, you... You'll get it from me when I've got it. I'm leaving. Uh, uh, Arthur, listen. You yeah. coming? Where you going? Down to the warehouse to watch my share of last month's take go down the drain. Mm-hmm. Marty. Okay. You late?
12: Yeah, I stopped in at the office. Hi, McPhail.
11: Hi, Mo. You uh, weren't waiting just for me to hand out the chips, were you?
12: You're right. We weren't. I just wanted you to know how it worked out. It was a good month out, except for you.
11: I know, I know.
12: Come on, Sam, come on. Pass around the sugar. Let's get it over with. Well, here it is. In Cash. Total take was 53 grand.
3: 17 goes to you, McPhail. I got the figures all here if you want to see. I know you wouldn't double-cross me, Sam. I wouldn't double-cross anybody. And don't forget it. Here's your do. Yeah. Oh, yours is six. You understand you didn't bring in as much business as McPhail.
11: I ain't complaining.
3: I get 21. Part of that is paying expenses. The rest is my percentage.
11: Don't I get anything?
3: What? Your cut would have been nine grand... But there was that truck and trailer. Those things cost dough, you know. To say nothing of a whole load of prime meat.
11: You have to take it all out now?
12: I already have. I'll give you 500 to keep going
11: on. Oh, that's fine.
12: 500.
11: Listen, Sam, I need dough. You
12: always need dough and never have none. Listen, you... He's right, Art. You got to get yourself straightened out. If I give
3: you any more, it'll just go to the bookies and gambling joints like the rest
11: of us. Listen, Sam, I tell you, I gotta have it. The guy's after me.
12: I think he's yellow, Sam.
11: You keep your big mouth out of this. I was a respectable businessman when you were running a lousy clip joint on Sands.
12: Yeah, yeah, and you're starved. And you're still starving. Because you haven't the guts to keep a couple of mugs from hijacking your stuff. Why, you... Cut
3: it out now. Cut it out. There's not going to be any trouble in this organization. There's plenty for everybody. Now, listen, Art. Yeah? Why don't you go up to my place in Connecticut for a few days? Take it easy and let me talk to these guys who are looking for you. I know who they are.
11: They don't want any more talk. Anyway, I go nuts up there in the country.
12: Go on. Pick up my car at the station. No, thanks. Well, I'm going. I'm going out to the country and tend them a victory garden. Your victory garden? <laughs> yeah. I see you about Tuesday. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, Mac. Yeah? Uh, wait a minute. So long, Art. Uh, so long.
11: Say, uh, Mac, uh, I'm sorry I made any cracks.
12: Yeah, <laughs> forget it.
11: Uh, Mac, you, uh, going up to the country?
12: Yeah, bet your life. Going down and get on the 520 right now.
11: Say, uh, you know, uh, I think I'll take Mac up. Uh, Mac, I, uh, well, I kind of need a rest. I, I. Yeah, I think... yeah,
12: you'll need something.
11: Uh, do you mind if I ride up on the train with you?
12: Why not? Why not? It's a public train. Oh, you know,
11: uh, Mac, I was
12: sorry about that. Say, Artie, Artie, yeah. Don't mind me. I talk a lot, and I don't mean it. Ah, oh, forget it, Mac. I know. Say, you want to see my victory garden? Are you kidding? No, no. I got a garden. It's a beaut too. Want to see it? Sure, sure. I would. I, I always like gardens. Well, well. In that case, you'll have to stop over at my place on your on your way to Sam's, huh? It'll be a pleasure. Come on in, Artie. I want to put this dough in the safe, and then I'll then I'll show you around. Sure. <laughs> uh, when the war is over and I'm legitimate, I'm gonna build onto it. Have a lot of lawn, gardener, real country gentleman. Uh, what's this? Your office? I do a little business here once in a while. Keep my dough in the safe there until I bank it.
6: <laughs>
12: know anything about safes? No. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Not that I don't trust you, Artie. Yeah. There she is. Put him up, Mac. What? You heard me. I'm not a movie. A stick up, huh? Why are you, yellow little rat? You don't think you can pull this on me and live, do you? It's not
11: a stick up, Mac. I just want you to do me a little favor, and I want to be sure you do it. Yeah? Yeah, get on that phone.
12: This had better be a gag. It
11: won't be unless you do exactly what I tell you. What? Call Rita in town. Ask her what Sam has lined up for Tuesday. Say you called me over at Sam's house just now and talked to me, but I didn't know. Come on, get going.
12: Edward, at three. Five, five six, two. Listen, Art, I'm no guy to kid around with. And I don't like this. Talk. Here. Rita, this is Mac. What Sam could line up for Tuesday. I just talked to Artie over at Sam's place. Yeah. Yeah, up here in the country. He said he didn't know and to call you. Why well, I see. That's short. No, no, no. Never mind. Okay. All right. Now, what's the gag?
11: You never were very smart, were you, Mac?
12: Eh, that's my alibi.
11: You just told Rita you talked to me at Sam's place. You
12: get it? Why, you... D-
1: Neatly done, Art Kramer. Virtually a perfect alibi. And $17,000 in cold cash. But there was someone else who thought he had a perfect setup, too. Canelli, the little bookie, whose former occupations were even less savory. It wasn't hard for Canelli to find where Sam's place was in Connecticut, in New York's underground of petty crime and find out anything. And it wasn't hard to jimmy a window. And that often enough. Uh. Ah, And then to find the money. There was a wad of money here at Sam's place somewhere. Art Kramer had said so, probably in a safe. That wouldn't be any trouble either. Not in the living room, of course. Yes, maybe this room. Uh. An office, a desk and phone. And a safe there in the wall. And just as he'd thought, old-fashioned, easy to crack. (laughs) First to drill a little hole, then the soup. There'd be a quick, neat little explosion, and the safe would fall apart in his hands. But wait, what's that? A car driving up, stopping. Who? Art Kramer had said nobody ever came up here. Mm. But it was leaving now, driving away. Probably just a mistake. No, no, steps outside. Somebody coming in. Do escape cut off. Hide here in the office behind the door. Hide the bag of tools, quick.
6: He's coming in
3: here. Order operator. I want New York City. At water 35562. Yeah, that's right. Hello, Rita. Sam. Listen, Rita, get a hold of everybody. Artie, Mac, Moe. Everybody you can. I've got a tip off there's going to be a rain. Yeah, cops. Tell the boys to duck. Lay alone until they hear from me. Find out where they're going to be and call me right back as soon as you contact everybody. Got it? Yeah? Oh, okay. I'll get hold of Mac myself as long as he's up here. Are they too? Well, I'm calling from my place now. I don't see him anywhere. Well, he must have changed his mind. Well, I didn't look in the garage. He came by cab. He's probably around someplace here. Yeah. Well, I'll wait for your call, then. Okay, Rita. And make it snappy now. Cannelli, what are you no, doing? Listen, to Sam, I just—the
12: safe. Why are you dirty? Sam,
6: Sam,
9: hit him too hard. He's dead.
6: Dead.
1: Yes, hit him too hard. Murder. That's a lot different from housebreaking. Murder. The phone. Somebody calling Sam. Fear. Blind, unreasoning fear. Smash it. Rip it out of the wall. As though whoever was on the other end could actually hear, actually see what was in this room. Murder and a murderer. There. Why? Oh, why had he done that? Foolish. Just nerves. Oh, get hold of yourself. Think. 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 What now? The money. Yes, have to have the money now. Make it get away. Mexico, South America. Maybe Sam. Uh, yes, the body. He'd to even touch him. But turn him over. There, the wallet. Empty. That's funny. Other pockets? No, no, nothing. The safe, then. Finish the job quick. Then get out. Find the drill again. Hurry. Again, somebody coming. Who? Never mind. Not going to be caught this time. Can't be. A murderer. Close the door. Lock it. quick. Pocket key. Hide. Maybe whoever it is will go away. Then come back and get the money later. Here he is. Hide, quickly. Kitchen. Get out the back window again if you have to. But wait, wait. He's not following. I wonder who it is. Just have a look. through we'll the crack of the door. Careful there. Yeah. Art. Art Kramer. The suitcase must be going to stay. But wait, why not? Art wouldn't know anything, couldn't with the office door locked. Give him a plausible story, stay overnight, and get the money when he's asleep. A chance, but have to take it. Uh Have to have the money now. Why not tell Art he'd come looking for Sam to borrow? Then, looking through the house for him, call him. Yes, make it look natural. He can't answer now. Call him. Sam? Sam?
9: Hello, anybody here? Hello. Who is it? Who is it yourself? I'm looking for Mr. Gross, Sam Gross. Well,
11: what are you doing here?
9: Hello, Arthur. I was looking for Sam.
11: I thought you didn't know where this place was. Oh, I found out. Yeah? Uh, What made you think Sam was going to be up here?
9: Why, I heard a tip in town. There might be some trouble. I figured he might come up here to duck out. What kind of trouble? Cops. Yeah? I didn't hear anything. I don't know, but... I'd do something. You know, i need dough the worst way. I figured Sam might let me have a little. He paid off today, didn't he? That's right. Art, did you get any? Me? Well, if you did, I don't like to
11: keep asking you, but I need it, Art. Why, uh, why, uh... Look, uh, Kennelly. Huh? You know, I meant to get in touch with you about that. I wanted to talk to you this afternoon. You mean you got something? Uh, come on inside. I'll tell you. Oh, sure, sure. I, uh,
1: got an idea. Idea. it came like a flash to Art Kramer. Frame Canelli for the murder of MacPhail. Plant some of MacPhail's money on him as evidence. And who would ever believe Canelli's word? A man with a criminal record against Art's. Why, Rita would swear that MacPhail himself had said Art was at Sam's place, simply denied that he'd ever seen Canelli. And Canelli would be MacPhail's murderer, and Art Kramer would be safe forever.
11: Now, uh, about that money. Yeah. I... As a matter of fact, I did get some. Not much, understand? Well, even a little would help. Uh, how much do I owe you altogether?
9: Nearly 4000 huh?
11: Well, uh, suppose I gave you two. I shouldn't give you that much, the way I'm fixed. Well, it, it ain't what I need, but it would help. Okay, uh, here's two grand on account. Oh. And, you know, it uh, doesn't leave me with much. I appreciate it, it, really. Say, uh, you're uh, really on a spot, huh? Yeah. How much more do you need? Oh, not a four or five, anyway. Oh, oh well, I... Uh, you know, I just thought i know where you can get it if you work it right. You do? Yeah. You uh, know McPhail? Oh, I know him not well. Well, I do. He took in plenty this month. What good does that do me? I tell you, I know the guy. He's the softest touch in the world. He'd give the shirt off his back to anybody if they told him the right story. yeah. How come you don't put the bite on him? He doesn't like me, but anyone else. You mean uh, I just ask him? Sure. You get anything you want. I'm not kidding. <laughs> if you ask for 10, even 20, you, you'd get it if he had it. No fool. Sure. He's up here in the country now, too. Right up the same back road, four and a half miles. Hey, uh, how do I recognize the place? It's a big place on the right. The only house for a mile. You can't miss it. Say, I'd, I'd run up there if I
1: were you. Yeah.
9: Maybe I will, huh? And I will.
1: A break. The kind of break Canelli had prayed for. Get the money from Macphail. Yes, quicker and safer than trying to get back in that room with a dead body on the floor. Get it from Macphail and have a good head start. Art won't find Sam's body in there for at least a day or two. The door's locked and Canelli has the key. He can be on a plane with Macphail's money and be out of the country by tomorrow. A break, the perfect break. Well,
9: uh... Well, thanks for the tip, Art. You sure McPhail's up there,
11: huh? Sure, he's always there every weekend. He's got a garden, <laughs> a victory
9: garden. <laughs> <laughs> That's a
11: lot. Well, I guess I better get going, huh? Yeah, look around the grounds for him first. If sure. he isn't outside, just walk right in. Uh. The door's always open. He's a simple guy, trust anybody. Uh, okay, uh,
9: thanks, Arthur.
11: Skip should... it. Maybe someday you can do the same for me.
9: Yeah. Yeah, maybe someday I can. Well,
11: so long. So long.
1: And now, Art has a job to finish. Phone the cops. From here? No, better not. They might trace it. The gas station at the crossroad. Plenty of time. Connelly will be there five or ten minutes before he finds... what he'll find as the cops find him. How easy he fell for it. But never mind that now. The gas station. The phone. The <laughs> phone.
11: I want the police. Uh, Hurry, please. Hello, uh, Riverside Police? Uh, Listen, I I was just driving down Nine Mile Road. I was going by the old McPhail place. You know the place I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I I was going slow and I heard something. It sounded like someone was being killed. Yeah, yes, a murder. There were shots and somebody screaming and more shots. A man's voice, oh, it was terrible. You better get up there right away. Oh, never mind who I am. I don't want to get in any trouble. No, but get up there. Yes, murder. Get your call all right, sir? Yeah, thanks.
10: ABC Enterprises. Yes, did you locate him yet? Oh, will keep trying and call me back.
6: Joe,
10: I'm worried. Eh, don't worry about him. If you can't find Mo, neither can the cops. I'm not thinking about him. I'm worried about Sam and, and Arthur. Maybe they went out. Sam said he'd wait for my call. It isn't that. It's, the phone's dead. I've got to get in touch with them somehow. Can't it wait? You know it can't. Not with the cops raiding the warehouse and arresting everyone in sight. Well, How about a telegram? Oh, too slow. I hate to send anyone around to the house, but Sam will understand this time. What are you going to do? Get the telephone company to help. Hello? I want the Riverside, Connecticut traffic operator, please. Yes. You know, it's funny about that phone. It rang two or three times, and then suddenly it went dead. On. Oh, hello, traffic operator? Have you a phone listed under the name of Gross? Samuel Gross. Well, there's something wrong with it, and it's very important that I get in touch with Mr. Gross right away. I'm a secretary. Will you send a man up right away? Thanks. And would you tell Mr. Gross that I've been trying to reach him? Thank you. Oh. When Sam finds out there's something wrong with his phone, he can phone me from outside.
11: You're a pretty smart girl sometimes, Rita. Yeah? Don't you believe me?
10: I just wish I was smart enough to get some sense across to that guy Art Kramer once in a while.
11: You kind of like him, don't you? Cut it out. Don't worry
10: about Artie. He'll be all right. Sure, I suppose. I suppose he'll be all right.
9: Mr. Gross, I'm from the telephone company.
11: Mr. Gross isn't here.
9: Oh, well, we just got word from New York that his secretary's been trying to reach him, but his phone is out of order.
11: I was sent up to look at it. Sure, go right ahead. I'm a friend of Mr. Gross. I know he'd want you to fix it. Okay, where is it? First order, you're right. Well, looks like we've got more visitors.
9: Yeah, cops. Well, i better get after this
13: phone here. Uh, I'm sorry to trouble you. I I wonder if we could use your phone. Uh,
11: It's out of order, I'm afraid. There's a man here fixing it now. What's the matter, officer? Trouble? Yeah, a little
13: killing up the road. We didn't want to handle the phone there. Might be fingerprints on it.
11: Uh, murder?
13: That's right, but the old MacPhail place. Caught the guy red-handed. Murder and robbery.
1: We even found the dough
13: on him. Yeah? Who did it? Says his name is Canelli from New York. I wouldn't tell you all this, except it's an open-shut case. Couldn't explain what he was doing there or how he got the money or anything. Well, you'll read about it in the papers tomorrow.
11: You uh, have him outside now?
13: Yep. Well, we better be going. Say, mister, that door you got, you got, it's locked. You got a key? Why, no. Well, what's the matter? You lost a key someplace? Well, I, I, I must have. The, the, the room with the phone in it. Oh, well, maybe I can help you out. I got a little gimmick here that might open it. Thanks. Yeah, we got to have things like that in this line of business, you know. Uh, this the door?
11: Yeah, that's it. There you are. Oh, Thanks. You uh, don't need me in there for anything, do you? No, sir. Well, good night. Good night. Hey, say, officer. Yeah? You better come in here a minute. Uh, wait a second, will you, Jim? Uh, sure. What's the matter?
13: Hey, mister. You have been here all day?
11: That's right. Why?
13: Nobody else been here all afternoon? No, sir. Oh, what's this? You
11: find something wrong in there?
13: You said it, mister. Put up your hands.
11: Hey, what's the idea? I do know,
13: huh? Jim. Take a look at what we got here. Yeah. Well, well. Cover him, Jim. Okay.
11: Well, what is... Hey, let me see that. Sure. Sam. No.
13: Robbery, too. Been through his wallet and started on the safe. Just like the other guy. Let's frisk him.
11: No. No, I didn't do this, I tell you. I didn't do it, I tell you. Yeah, here's the dough, all right. A roll big enough to choke a horse. Look, you guys. I tell you, I didn't do this.
13: Yeah.
11: Kind of interrupted
13: you, didn't we? Come on. Look. I didn't do this, I tell you. I didn't!
6: I did do this! I did, I did! I did do this!
1: And the story ends with a newspaper clipping. I'll read it to you. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Arthur Kramer and George Kennelly were executed here today within ten minutes of each other to bring to a fitting conclusion one of the strangest series of coincidences in the criminal records of this state. Both men committed the same crime, murder and robbery, within a few miles of each other, on the same day and at almost the same time. Both victims were operators in the New York black market. Kramer was convicted of the murder of Samuel Gross... Canelli killed Edward Macphail. Both killers were caught on the scene of the crime, were arrested by the same officers, taken together in the same police car to the same jail. Both proclaimed their innocence, yet pleaded guilty in the face of the overwhelming evidence against them. A curious factor in the case was that though both men denied knowing the other, they tried repeatedly to attack each other in the prison yard until guards were forced to keep them out of sight of each other at all times police have always believed there was some connection between the two crimes, but have never been able to find out what it was. And so closes Thieves Fall Out, starring Gene Kelly. Tonight's tale of... Suspense. Appearing with Gene Kelly, who is to be seen currently in Metro-Golden-Mayer's Technicolor musical, Thousands Cheer, for Hans Conried as Canelli and William Johnstone as Sam Gross, this is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week, same time, when our star will be Mr. Vincent Price. Mr. Price will be heard in a suspense play by E. Jack Newman, dealing with the Gestapo and called The Strange Death of Charles Umberstein producer and director of Suspense is William Spear, who with Lud Gluskin and Lucian Marowick, conductor and composer, and Robert L. Richards, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense.
4: Don't miss Suspense when this series moves to a new day and time. The day, Thursdays, beginning December the 2nd. The time, 8 p.m. Eastern Wartime and 7 p.m. Central Wartime. In the Mountain and Pacific time zones, listeners will hear suspense on Mondays, beginning December the 6th at 9 p.m. Pacific wartime. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives.